0: Okay. Once again, good morning. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back with you today. We, my family has been away all week at, on vacation uh, at Disney, uh, the happiest place on earth. As I noted this morning in my sermon, uh, especially if you love standing in line, that it makes it so, so happy there. Today, we're going to jump right in. Uh, we have a really difficult topic today. I, those of you on our email list, I teased it a little bit by saying that it's about, uh, you know, a submission to one another. But also, what I didn't mention was, having to do with the the husband-wife relationship, which has a lot to learn from this passage and a lot of controversy that I'm sure we'll be able to to stir up this morning. Whether you're married or not, there is something for all of us to learn in these passages as we continue our way through Ephesians. Uh, Again, and and this is a topic that probably in general I I would avoid, (laughs) Uh, but guess what? This is one of the benefits of going, just like we're doing in the sermon series, is what we do here this morning. We go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and, and you can't skip over the hard Parts you got to go through them. You got to face them them head on. And so, given that, I've I've built several points into my notes here that will allow us to stop, catch our breath a little bit, ask questions, digest. And if you want to disagree with me, that's okay too. Uh, This is this is a, a forum for that. So, again, just as a reminder, the Book of Ephesians is divided into six chapters. And for the first three chapters. Uh, that we've been reading that, that tells us everything that we are in Christ. Chapters 1 through 3 reminds you of who you are in Christ, and that's what Paul has been doing, that now, now that we're united in Christ, we, we are Christ's body. This is now your identity. Identity is a big topic nowadays, and whenever you, whatever identity you had before Ephesians Emphasizes to us, whatever your identity was before, you now have a new identity and it's in Christ. That's who you are. And and this is what he labors to tell us all throughout the first half of Ephesians. For instance, in Ephesians 2 12 to 14, he says, This is another great reminder. All in that front half of Ephesians, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. This is who you are in your, your pre salvific state, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Paul is reminding us of everything that we are in Christ, everything that he's done for us. We were once far off, right? Now we're near, We were once separated without hope, and now we've been brought near. That's really good news, by the way. That's that's the best news that you're going to hear today. So knowing that, realizing that, what should that do to us? It should make, knowing this, understanding this, this should make us different people. If we understand this, if we believe this, by necessity, it will change fundamentally who we are. Okay, here are the things, instead of approaching the scriptures now and saying, okay, here are the things I've got to do now instead of seeing it as a list, which we so often do with the Bible, these are the things that I got to do today. No, it doesn't work like that. It occurs as a natural byproduct because you understand this. You, you, you realize this, and, and, and it awakens in your, your, your heart and your mind more and more. So in the same way, I, like I just told you, we just got back from Disney, and what I, what I can't get over is uh, how obsessed some people are with Disney. It, it really, they really, it can, cons- and, and if you're one of these people, let me see your hand. No, you don't have to admit right now. <laughs> and and, and the, 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 the fascinating thing is, is that they're, they're wherever you go. Uh, even before we, I won't mention any names, you know, because some people don't want to be outed as a Disney fanatic. But uh, before we went uh, Tracy had several friends that said, listen, I need to give you the scoop before you go because you need a master's level class to be able to negotiate your way around the lines and the wait times and this, that, and the other and, and all the things to do. And it really does. You really have to know a lot. And gone are the days. Gone are the days of just showing up at the park with your paper ticket and going and standing in line. It doesn't work that way anymore. And if, and if you're expecting to go there, good luck. So you have to talk to one of these people. And, and, and the funny thing is, these people, these aren't paid people. These are people that just love to talk about Disney. <laughs> they love it. They're eager to tell you everything that they know, and they will tell you everything. And let me tell you, it's, it's so helpful. When you're at the park, you see people that are just sold out. They, they, they wear the Mickey ears. We saw people in the airport with the Mickey ears on. I'm like, hey, you can let it go now. You're, you're away from the park. But they, And you know what? And again, it's not that you have to twist their arm. for them to tell you about Disney. They want to tell you about Disney. It's it's now part of their experience. It's now something that they've lived through and and they've been so excited by, so they're eager to tell you. No arm twisting. Do you see the parallel I'm trying to make here? When you realize the joy, when you realize the, it's not up there anymore, but when you realize the truth behind the fact that you have a new identity, you were once far off and now you're brought near, it fundamentally changes who you are to the the point that you, you can't help but talk about it. It you can't help but spill out of you. You don't have to twist my arm to, 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 for me to tell you anything about it. I want to tell you about it. It's exciting for me. And again, there's, there's a side of you, I know. I, well, I haven't reached that point yet. Why, why not yet? That this is how sanctification works. It is a slow progress. It is a slow building upon, you know, day after day after day, more and more conformed to the image of Christ. But eventually, you do get to the point where you're like, I can't help but talk about this. I want to talk about this because I understand Ephesians 1 through 3, because I understand those, those truths. okay? That's what Paul is reminding us of, everything we are in Christ, how we're brought near, okay? We were once far off, now brought, brought near, okay? Now, I detail all this for a reason. We're reading a portion of Paul's letter of the Ephesians that is not without controversy. This passage is in direct conflict with what society tells us is sensible, Society looks at these passages and thinks, what a terrible obligation. This this passage flies in the face of what our culture thinks is natural. So again, we have to read this passage today and not think this is duty. Very important. You can't read this passage today and think this is duty. Rather, in light of who Christ is, in light of what Christ has done, our behavior naturally reflects this. This is what we do because this is who we are. People who reflect the behavior of Christ where people so overwhelmed with what Christ has done, we can't help but be reflections of him. Does that make sense? I, I, I gotta prepare you before we get into this passage today. You have to know this. These aren't rules to follow. It's a natural byproduct of who you are, okay? So here we go. Um, don't think this is a duty. Think of Christ, think of his actions. Let's read Ephesians starting in five twenty-one and following. Hold on to your hats. Submit to one another, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she, she respects her husband. Wow, there it is. Dirty trick. This is what we're really talking about today. Trying to present to you this as a, a natural byproduct of who you are in Christ, right? Not out of the sense of duty. And again, if you try and do this, all this out of a sense of duty, it will drive you nuts. It will drive you bananas, okay? Who among us likes the idea of submitting to anybody? generally speaking, that is outside of our natural sin tendency. We don't want to submit to anybody. This is what the sin was about in the garden. It was about the fact that I would rather do things my way rather than submit to what I'm being told by, by God Almighty. Okay, And we, we tend to have this feeling, this idea too, that when we talk about submission, it has all kinds of baggage with it. Submit is something dogs do, right? It's something Christians do. We mutually submit to one another. Let's see if we can understand what in the world is Paul, Paul is talking about. First of all, yes, of course, Paul is talking about marriage, but he's not just talking about marriage here. If, if your Bible is like mine, verse 21 doesn't start a new sentence. And I, and I started on verse 21. It actually is the last clause of a long sentence that, that Paul began in verse 18. Let's read that. This was the, the runner up. Okay, I wanted to read you the, the, the big passage first, but now I want you to go back and say, here was the runner up to it. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Again, we're talking about marriage, right? Then all of a sudden, what is this? This is just right preceding it. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then our passage started today with, submitting to one another in reverence of Christ. Remember, this is not a new thought. This is not a suddenly, this is all part of that same first clause that goes right into the passage that we're looking at today. So again, Paul is describing what we were just talking about, life in Christ. The natural byproduct of an identity with Christ, The natural byproduct are actions like addressing one another in Psalms, In him, singing, making melody of the Lord, giving thanks, and then finally, after doing those things, submitting to one another out of reverence in Christ. Okay, so first you have to realize right off the bat, Paul isn't changing subjects here. Paul is not saying, okay, that's enough about life in the Spirit, let's talk about marriage now, right? No, what he's describing with regard to the relationship of a husband and wife is the subheading under the broader heading of life in Christ, all right? This is what life in Christ looks like. This is what people who reflect the behavior of Christ look like. And if you're filled with the Spirit, then this is what marriage looks like. Okay, so by the time we get to verse 21, Paul is saying that that one of the effects of the gospel is you serve one another. In other words, the gospel erodes the normal human self-centeredness, what our culture considers normal. It erodes that. Our culture says you're number one, that you look out for yourself, take care of yourself. Number one comes first. Look out for your own interests or you won't survive. That's what culture tells us. But what does the gospel say? Okay, a few weeks ago, I, I, did, I was able to preach a sermon on my all-time favorite passage in, in the New Testament, which by now you should know what that is. What is it? Philippians 2, 5 to at least 8, if not further. But it begins like this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is your mindset, right? This is what you should be all about. Have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. Do like Jesus did. Who, though he was in the form of God, the highest, the highest place anyone could occupy, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Right? So this is our mindset. Though he had every right to have every, any, any claim to anything, though he had every right to claim superiority and, and place himself above you, instead, what did he do? he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, do you see, do you realize the gravity of what's being said here? No higher place to occupy than, than God Almighty emptied himself and became nothing, and became a servant. And go, go back and listen to the sermon I preached on it a few weeks ago. It's fantastic. It's <laughs> fantastic. Because I, I walk through every, every bit of this, and there's, there's, no greater, there's never been a greater disparity from, from in terms of authority and power for, for, the, for the highest highest of high authorities to the lowest of low. That's what he did for you. So when we talk about submitting to one another, you can't compare it to this. You'll, you'll never be able to compare it to this. He did it, he did it better. He did it higher. And this is who we're being made to be like. Okay, so it's not that this just is reflective of, of how we operate within marriage. It's how we operate with one another, every single one of us. Th- this is how I operate with you. It's, it's a mentality of you before me. You before me. This is the mentality of the Christian because this was the mind of Christ that he wants you to imitate, that he wants you to also reflect. Okay, does that make sense? Any, any questions about that so far? Okay, I'll keep going. Okay, again, emphasizing, this isn't just good manners. All right, this is, this is what, what brings about humility? What makes us humble? What makes us a people of humility? It's this. The gospel tells us you're a lot worse than you think. That's what the gospel tells us. The gospel says you can never clean your life up. There's no way you're gonna be able to save, uh, be saved that way by cleaning yourself up. Nothing less than the death of the son of God can save you. You're worse than you think. Okay, so that's the first thing the gospel tells us. The second thing the gospel tells us is that you're much more loved than you think, despite the fact that you're worse off than you think. The Son of God was willing to make himself a servant to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that alone should completely humble you. And what this does is it removes self-centeredness. It takes away, It, it removes selfishness. There's no need to look for your own interests because he loves and affirms you. And knowing that the God of all creation loves and affirms you, what could we possibly gain by then looking out for our own self-interest? You see that? The God of the universe loves you. How are you going to add on top of that? By maneuvering around and, and trying to put yourself ahead of someone else, something else. You, you already have the best seat in the house. You already have it, okay? Let's keep going with the text. You first always okay? Uh, What's being said here, first of all, since the text starts with wives, let's start with the wives. What, What is Paul saying to the wives? Okay, wives submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So the first thing we have to ask is why, right? What's the point of this? Why is Paul asking wives to submit to their husbands? And why is Paul calling husband the head? These are just fundamental questions that we all want answers for. What does it mean to be the head? Ultimately, what does it mean to be the head? What, what does headship mean? Does someone want to take a stab at that? When we talk about headship or being the head, what, what is he saying? Does anyone want to try and put a definition to that? Don't be afraid now. Say again. The leader. OK? The person in charge. OK? Someone else. Is someone want to fight with her about that? Those are <laughs> I'm kidding. What else is there? What, what, I mean, whether it reflects your answer or not, what are some other things out there? What does it mean to be the head of the household? Say again, boss. the boss. Mm-hmm. So far, only the ladies are speaking up. Any, uh, <laughs> any men want to take a stab at this? Dean. Who's the head of the church? Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. Okay, now, frame your answer around that. What does it mean to be the head? If you're thinking a reflection of Christ, you're on the right track. What are the things that Christ did? He was a representative. He was a protector. He laid his life down. He did have the final say. He is the final authority. But he did all those other things also. <laughs> and it is, that was headship, that he reflects what headship should and does look like, proper headship, okay? If, if you have any negative view or connotation of what it means to be the head, it's because we've probably littered it with other things that, that, uh, that are, quite frankly, not biblical, okay? If, if headship to you is uh, about being domineering, we're, 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 we're way off track. We're way off track because was, was Christ domineering? No. Okay, so headship, as it seems the Bible defines it, can simply be stated as uh, in in this first respect, final say. Again, the Lord has the final say. It means leadership. In the end, the husband has the leadership role and has the final say. When you can't agree, he has the final say. Now, to some of you, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop! Just hold on a minute. We're we're getting through. We have to get through the whole text okay? Because as soon as we hear that, immediately we try and assign meaning to that which is usually wrong. We try and throw in our own content and definitions, and, 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 and we can't do that. We have to stop right here and ask why. Why place headship anywhere in a marriage? That's what a lot of people want to know. That's what a lot of people ask. Why do we have to have headship at all in the context of marriage? Why can't we just imagine it or, or, or make it an equal partnership, 50-50 co-heads, and share authority equally? Why can't it just be like that? Because, again, you, you, have to, you have to look to Christ. You have to look what Christ is and how we are reflections of who Christ is. You have to remember exactly what marriage is. Can someone tell me that? Biblically speaking, what is marriage? Not a trick question, but biblically speaking, what do you know? What is marriage? Say it again. A covenant between between man and wife. What else is marriage? It's a picture of Christ in the church. All those answers were right, but that's the answer that I was looking for. It's a picture of Christ in the church. You can't forget that. That is so, so important because what we tend to do is we want to say, well, marriage is really about us, that it's the ultimate thing. It's the penultimate thing. It's, it's a reflection of the ultimate. And if we are reflections of the ultimate, we have to reflect, we have to reflect it uh, faithfully. We have to make it as, as close to the real thing as, as, as possible. Okay? Biblically speaking, marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. All through the Old Testament. You, you can't get through the Old Testament, Testament without tripping over Israel uh, being referred to as his wife, sometimes in a very negative context, right? And then all through the New Testament, the church is referred to as Christ's bride. And in fact, the climax of the scriptures tells us the wedding feast in Revelation, where Christ is finally united with his bride, the church, we the church, our Christ bride, this is why it tells us in Revelation, uh, in, in, excuse me, in this, uh, uh, Ephesians uh, uh, 5.32, it says this. This is why he said, I paused when we read this, this mystery is profound. What is marriage? It's a profound mystery. It's not about you. It's not about your relationship here, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We, we, we can't skip over that, we, we can try and define marriage as many ways as we want, but we can't ignore that. It's there in the text. So what do you do with it? What do you do with it? You can't just say, well, it's really a 50-50 partnership. No, that's not what it's saying there. And that's what we have to reflect. But there's a lot of responsibility loaded into here too. There's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot, if we're going to reflect Christ, we have to reflect the full Christ, not pick and choose which parts of Christ we want to reflect. We have to reflect the full Christ. Okay, so our marriages serve as markers. And, 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 and uh, uh, as faint echoes of the marriage of Christ to his bride, the church. So again, our marriages are not the ultimate thing. It's not your ultimate purpose for living. It, it's a penultimate thing, it's the secondary thing. It's a reflection of, of, uh, of the, the bride and the groom uh, of Christ and his church. We're co heirs with Christ. We are part of Christ's body. We are irreversibly adopted into the family of Christ. We're his siblings. We carry with us the righteousness of Christ. We're united with Christ. We are Christ's body. All this is true. But you and I, in terms of authority structures, are not equals with Christ. And so that's why we reflect it. We don't reflect that relationship because men are brighter. In fact, I would argue they're not. (laughs) We don't argue that because uh, of any other reason other than we're reflecting Christ in the church. We are reflections. This is why you were born. This is why you're alive, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Reflecting Christ is to glorify God, okay? So this is what we read in, in verse 23. Our marriages are pointers to the ultimate marriage, and, uh, and, uh, and like the ultimate, that, that ultimate marriage is, uh, there is a head, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And again, we're not done. We're not done. Hang in there. So we have to say, in marriage there is a head, and husbands take the lead as Christ leads the church. And this is why, this is why as Christians we should be protective of the institution of marriage. This is why, again, it's so easy in today's culture to say, well, why, why can't we just let people do what they want to do? As long as they're happy, as long as it doesn't affect me, let's just let them do what they want to do. Because again, if we're if we're saying marriage is a reflection of Christ's relationship to the church, we have to be. We are we are bound. We're responsible to be reflect to be protective of who Christ is, of who Christ's image is, because he's he's protective of his own image. I often talk about this when we uh, we talk about. Um, uh, marriage and what marriage is a reflection of, I, I go back to, to Moses. When Moses was asked uh, to strike the, water, strike the rock at, at, the, at Meribah and, 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 uh, and water came forth, people saying, Moses, go strike the rock. He struck the rock. Water came forward. Now, later on in, in Numbers, it's, it's almost a repeat of the same account. Hey, people want water. Go to the rock. And what did God tell them to do this time? Speak to the rock. Don't strike the rock. Speak to the rock. And what happened? Struck the rock. And what happened to Moses? He didn't get to go to the promised land. You think, man, that is awfully harsh. He just didn't follow some instructions. He was supposed to speak to the rock. Instead, he struck it. Loosen up, right? Why why was God so upset? (laughs) Because his image. Because That rock was a reflection of Christ, who would be struck once, and then he would become your high priest. And so when Moses struck the rock the second time, he was monkeying with the image of God. And God says, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm so serious about that, you're not going to get to go in the promised land. That's how serious he's about his image. And so when we talk about Christ and as a reflection, our marriage is a reflection of who Christ is and, and his bride, we can't monkey with that. We can't mess with that and say, well, well, maybe it could be this too. No, it, it, is, it is his image. We have to reflect who he is and who he is in relationship to his bride. Does that make sense? And again, I, I really want you to be able to art, be able to articulate that, especially in today's culture, because again, what the culture tells us is just let, live and let live. Let them be happy. Why do you care? I care because I care about the image of Christ. And that's why I, I again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't not love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> and that's why I share these things with you. That's why I can't withhold the truth from you because I believe it, it's not just about, oh, well, God made Adam and Eve, and, and that's true too, but there's a higher purpose. We are reflections of Christ and his bride. Make sense? Any thoughts, comments, or questions on that much so far? That's a lot, I know. 1035, we gotta keep going. Any, any, any questions? Please stop me if you... Yes? here's here's the stance that I take here's the stance that I take is that uh, it for instance this this is a, here's where the rubber meets the road let's just say you have a friend uh, who is uh, homosexual and they ask you to be a part of of the wedding what do you do this is tough this is really tough because again you you don't want to you don't want to make them unhappy right you don't want to uh offend them But at the same time, I have a higher priority to Christ. And especially, especially if you're gonna invoke the name of God at your wedding, I can't be a part of that. I can't be a part of it because again, if if what we're saying about marriage is true, that it's a reflection of Christ and his bride, I can't adopt anything other than what the Bible says marriage is. And, and, And I would hope that you, my friend, wouldn't want me to betray my conviction in that. And I hope you would understand that as my friend. And again, this is sometimes where, when, when, when the Lord says he, he came to uh, sometimes be a sword of division, this is where, where mother would be against mother and father against father. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road sometimes. And again, you don't do it in hate. You don't do it in anger. You can do these and express these things in love. Uh, because again, not of who I am, but because of who Christ is. And I have to reflect who Christ is. That's the best answer I've got for that. And it's tough. It's tough because I know some of you are in the middle of situations like that? And how do you express the love of Christ, but at the same time hold fast to your conviction of, of who He is and, and be protective of His image? Any other thoughts, comments, responses? Well, Feel free to object. That question, and yeah. I'll go back to the, oh, just like a, a male and a yeah. female. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. And I, I, would still go, I would still go to that wedding because, again, whether they know it or not, it's still a reflection of Christ and his bride. And again, if the pledge they're making in that marriage is uh, me for you forever, uh, then that, that is a reflection of who Christ is in Christ uh, with his bride. Uh, if it's anything other than that, if there's anything else that's going to be me and you and maybe someone else from, from time to time, if that's baked in the vows, I'm out. <laughs> Why? Because it's not a reflection of, of what Christ says marriage is. Yeah, Trudy.
1: Mm-hmm. but does that mean that the church is feminine and Christ is married to the church? So it's, I mean, I'm trying to figure out, because I know Christ's people are male,
0: you know, both. Right. So if he's married to the church, to yeah. his people,
1: he's married to both male and
0: female.
1: I mean, I'm not well, Yeah, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say the church is feminine. You know, no, I think, no, I think, no, I, I think. am just trying to figure out how it represents um, the part, you know,
0: Yeah. And again, we are reflections in terms of, of, uh, of roles, in terms of what, what the, the scriptures or what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5, uh, but it doesn't mean that I, as a man, have to somehow uh, act feminine uh, because I am, am the bride of Christ. It, it's more about the, the union, the, the profound mystery that is Christ and the church and the closeness the profound closeness that exists there, even, and, and I'm just going to say it, even in the, in the confines of a uh, a covenant sexual relationship, that is a faint echo of our relationship with Christ when we are finally consummated and brought together, okay? That is profoundly mysterious, okay? But again, it doesn't mean we reflect other qualities in that, we reflect that profound union, that profound relationship. That's what we have to reflect. Does that make sense? It's very deep, very deep. And I know for some people, when you hear that, you're like... Pfft. But again, that's, that's why we're so protective of sexuality because of it, the fact that it's a reflection of Christ and his bride, Christ's relationship to his bride. And anytime we try and, and monkey with it and make it something else, and I'm not just talking about same-sex marriages, I'm talking about any, any, anything that is outside of one man, one woman, in the confines of a covenant relationship, anything outside of that is now a, not a reflection of, of what Paul is saying here. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. people aren't getting married, They're, they have partners, yeah. you know, there's, it's, it's an epidemic, but it's, you know, Jack the Baker is going through so much because he won't bake a cake for a homosexual wedding, these are all things because people can't, as a society, we don't, the word is, not isn't people, naturally, 100 or 200 years ago, people would have said, well, of course, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah. Their own laws and
0: directives. The, the reason we're so lost in this discussion is because we 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 forgot about this. We forgot what it says about about what marriage is, the profound mystery. And we try and assign other definitions to it and what it is and, and, uh, and try and establish a civil law that says, well, this is what marriage is. Well, no, as a Christian, I, I am bound to what the, the scriptures tell me marriage is. And we forget this. And that's why we, we, we're generally not articulate in these types of debates uh, because we, we go to the most fundamental thing. No, man and woman, that's as far as I can get on this one, but just don't do it because Adam and Eve, that's all I know. <laughs> You know? And again, that is true. That is true. But if you really want to if you really want to engage into in a conversation with depth to it, you have to know this. You have to know this. Uh, I'm gonna continue on because I don't want to just say, okay, wives, here's <laughs> we're dismissed. <laughs> you know? Because again, this is not just reflective of marriage. This is true of of uh, of, uh, of of the Christian. Okay? Uh, here's what the text tells us that man is never to exercise headship to please himself okay? This is what, uh, why I belabored to tell you that, that point of, of, of you first, you before me, the mentality of Christ, always you first, because look what it says in verse 25. five: Husbands, love your wives, okay? This is an awfully pregnant statement here. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. That is a tall, tall order. And gave himself up for her, you see what that means? Wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. What was Christ's posture? What did he do? He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That means he set his own needs aside and placed the needs of his bride ahead of his own. Again, what that means is that husbands must never exercise headship to please himself because Christ never exercised. We have to reflect the full Christ. He never exercised his headship in a manner that pleased himself. Never once. Not once. Do you see how the Bible puts firewalls around this concept of marriage? Okay. It allows for authority, but insists upon selflessness. Okay. It allows for authority, but leaves no room to be selfish. There's no clause within this, this, uh, this, um, this, uh, this command, or not command, Uh, or an institution of marriage that allows for, oh yeah, you can be selfish here. It doesn't, male, female, husband, wife, no room for selfishness, ever, not at all. Both husband and the wife are charged with taking on the posture of humility, each serving the other. Why? Because that's what Christ did for us. We reflect Christ, the full Christ, okay? Does that make sense? Thoughts, comments, questions? I want to put these in there so you can ask questions and, and even object if you want to. Okay. All right. Let me let me give you a practical example. Let's let's try and make a a practical example here. Uh, small example of what headship might look like in a practical sense. Again, I by no means have marriage mastered. Tracy's right here. She will tell you that, right? But I I see things that happen in our marriage that reflect this because once again, Christ is in both Tracy and myself. His Holy Spirit occupies her heart, occupies my heart, and together He he is sanctifying us and hopefully both making us more like Christ. And so we should reflect Christ more and more. 20 years now we've been at this. We still haven't got it perfect, but we're learning as we go, okay? Tracy and I in our room, we we have our room divided uh, into We have our house divided into different uh, rooms, you know. I am in charge of the decor and colors in some rooms and she is in charge of the decor and color in other rooms. The rooms that I get are the garage and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Now now that's not to say, that's not to say that I, I don't have opinions on the kind of stuff we do with the other rooms. I do have opinions and there are times we come to an impasse. Okay, I can, there's a couple of distinct moments, we are at an impasse here. I like A, she likes B. Uh, I want to paint uh, the walls blue, she wants to paint them off-white. Guess what color the walls are painted? Off-white. Off-white, why? The wall is painted white because the fact remains that Tracy is way better at that than me. Way better. She has an eye for things that I do not have an eye for. Part of being a good leader, we were just talking about this a moment ago, is recognizing the strength in others. I'd be dumb to think that I could be better at this than her. She's been way at it way longer than I have. As a matter of fact, not too long ago, men, do you remember we had the chicken wing fling out here? All male event. Do you know what made that event go from good to great? Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> She at one point said, she just came to me and said, just let me help you. Because again, my idea is I'm going to throw a bunch of chicken wings out there and the primitive men that we are will go out there and eat chicken wings. End of event. Okay. She says, let me help you organize this. Let me help you put things. And let me tell you something. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. And the secret behind it was Tracy. She was it. Okay. Okay. Now, that's a smaller matter, but I use that just for an example. That's just an example. There are bigger matters that we deal with, too, but the same principle applies. Being the head doesn't always mean taking the head position. Again, sometimes it's following the pattern in steps of Christ, and on occasion, yes, that means you wash feet as the head of the church, as the head of the household. Sometimes you do that. You wash feet. Your duties and roles and action can, can run the gamut, as Christ washed feet, he also is the head of the, of the, of the church, okay? Now, again, there's, there's a lot of things that aren't mentioned in this, in this text here. There's no specific mention of things like uh, who prepares the meals, uh, uh, who's responsible for the checkbook. The Bible doesn't give us details in that regard. Th- those, those things have be worked out mutually, okay? But there's no room for selflessness, selfishness. There's no room for selfishness. So if you are overseeing one of those areas of the household, your role is still to be selfless, to be not selfish. The Bible requires humility. The the Bible requires denial of self. The Bible requires a posture of you first. That's what marriage is about. That's what marriage is about. And again, by extension, this is what the Christian life is all about, whether you're married or not. Uh, My wife is to serve me as the head, and I'm to serve my wife as Christ served the church. Our job, as, as, as the job of every Christian, is to serve each other. We serve each other. We mutually submit to one another. And sometimes, serving doesn't always match what we imagine serving to be in our minds. That's what we have to get past. That's what we have to lay aside. Not what are my impressions and images of what serving should look like, but what does Christ's image of serving look like, who gave himself up for the church, who emptied himself. That's what our service should look like, okay? Okay. Um, you know, once in a while, you know, Tracy and I, we we work in this consensus as a partnership in marriage. Once in a while, fairly seldom, I'd say that when there's a decision to be made, a decision that that can't be put off. If we don't agree, then yes, it's my job to make that decision. And, And the course, in that course, that decision, if I try and use my authority for my own gain or to please myself, then it's my wife's job to say, what are you doing? What are you doing? to come to me, at a, at, if I'm being selfish as the a, as a head of the household, then it is her job to, to call me out on that and say, you're not reflecting the image of Christ. You see how that works? Anything else would be hurtful to me. If she just let it slide, it would be hurtful to me. Anything less than honesty does me a disservice. All right. Uh, thoughts, comments, question, what time is that? We may have to put a pin in it so I can get back to the, the but, but we have a couple minutes for comments or, or uh, questions or anything else. Does that make sense? Even if you don't completely wanna embrace it, chew on it, think through it, read through it. What is, what is Christ asking of me? He's asking me to do nothing more than a reflection of who he is. This is what he asks of his church, to reflect who I am. Did you have a question thing? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I wish you
0: could say that louder. Yeah, it, yeah. So, so one, he says when things tend to go sideways in his own marriage, he's saying he's speaking of it's when he's advocating responsibility, when he's not doing the things, not, not reflecting the posture of Christ. And so again, when you introduce that element into marriage, where you're abdicating a responsibility, when you're not reflecting the posture and the humility of Christ, of course, things will go sideways. And if then you're going to still insist upon headship, follow me, and you're not reflecting the image of Christ, it's disaster. That's why, that's why marriages go south. It's because, again, someone somewhere is not reflecting the posture of Christ. Right? Did I you know, categorize that right? Someone else? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, please. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was just wondering, since, um, since we were
1: not men aren't like infinite wisdom and mm-hmm. perfection like Christ was, um, it, what? It, makes the, it, makes, it makes the analogy look like, yeah. Yeah. because if you are, let's say there's a disagreement and the man has to make the final decision thinking that that is the best decision, um, putting forward that as the final say, is that not inherently like a selfish thing, maybe not like an improper selfishness, but it isn't necessarily emptying yourself because if, mm-hmm. you, do become, if you do get to a point where you're disagreeing, and the commandment is to empty yourself mm-hmm. for the, for the church for for the bride. Then wouldn't you necessarily always yeah. go with what the bride is?
0: Yeah, it's a very good point, a very good uh, uh, um, uh, scenario that you bring up here. Because again, and if I was careful to use the word reflection, because like like a, a real reflection, whether you're reflecting your face into the image of, of water, it's not So sometimes it's going to be. It's going to be obscured. Sometimes it's going to be distorted, okay? Not because of any fault of his, but because we are not good at reflecting, okay? And yet there will be occasions where uh, you're asking, you're at an impasse. And because of the fact that you're a sinner, you're a Christian, you still have impulses that are fundamentally self-serving. What do you do? What do you do in those situations? That's why. So you have to ask yourself: Is what I'm, is the decision I'm making here, ultimately reflective of Christ? Is somehow advancing the cause of Christ? That's why this is so important. That's why community is so important. Because if I am doing something that is out of line with, with who Christ is, reflecting the nature of Christ, my brother, my what What are you doing? what are you doing? You are not reflecting. the we, we, we have these guardrails around us. The body of Christ stop you before you make a, a, a selfish decision under the guise of, well, I'm, I'm the head of the household, which, again, sometimes the head of the household is wrong. And, and, and again, it's okay for the, the, the wife to say, I think you're wrong. <laughs> and again, but again, that's why we surround ourselves with the body of Christ. Make sense? Yeah. Does that help a little bit?
1: Mm-hmm. In an impulsive way. Yeah. And if you're really asking those questions, is this really reflecting Christ? Then if you're having a conversation with
0: that as a pair, then it's much less. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you're both child of the King. You're both filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, my wife all the time points things out to me that says, you know what? That's not reflective of, of, uh, of Christ. All the time. All the time. And again, I could either humbly accept that or I can. Dig my heels in. <laughs> yeah. Anyone else? Thoughts? Comments? Questions? Scott? Um, you can talk about, think, a little bit about the context.
1: It's really important. I think the challenge today is there's this the prevailing wisdom in the 1950s and 60s kind of family structure is that, you know, the husband is the head, the wife is the servant, you know, husband works, she provides, it's there. That's not the Bible. Right.
0: right? The husband then, is not a dictator.
1: And then the prevailing wisdom of today is more of a passiveness sort of approach, I think, towards mm-hmm. like being a husband. Don't be overpressive, you're equal, cool, don't, you know, like so. And that's not scriptural either. Right.
0: The fruits of the spirit. Yeah, that's exactly okay, yeah. it. I think this is, that's think
1: This is this great, like, like I think we got to keep asking, not just about the selfishness, because that's definitely almost every decision we make ourselves is going to be a piece of this, but it's also the culture. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to constantly, we're either influenced by the culture of our parents,
0: or maybe where we grew up, or influenced by the culture we're seeing. Our yeah. That's something that, uh, for those of you that were in the early service, you saw David Filson uh, do a baptism, and he, the, the, the girls that he was uh, baptizing, uh, the parents had been taking him through the, the, the catechism, and he quizzed them right there on the stage. David loves to quiz people, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, and what he said was, if you're not catechizing your children, the culture will catechize your children. Same thing for husbands. You know, If you're not catechizing yourself, if you're not, you couldn't bump into Jesus without Scripture spilling out of him. That's the best antidote I know. Uh, for being a good head of the household is filling yourself with the Word, because if you catechize yourself with, uh, that's what's going to come out of you when, when you when you're bumped into. Again, you couldn't you couldn't bump into Jesus without him giving you the Word back. That's what we have to fill ourselves with, not with the culture. Good point. All right, Millie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which are baked into humility. If, uh, if you're being humble, we talk about natural byproducts, that's going to be a natural byproduct of, of humility. Again. Let me close this in prayer, and, uh, <laughs> and I hope to see you in the service if you haven't already been there. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these, uh, these difficult passages of Scripture, because what it, what it reveals to us is that uh, uh, we're not wise people. Uh, we don 't have all the answers, but your Word does Help us to follow it, help us to to ingest it and help us to uh, uh, to make it the air that we breathe, so that, like Jesus, when when people bump into us, the scriptures pour out of us. Uh, help us to, to hide your word in our hearts so that uh, it 's our, our guiding our guiding force, uh, along with your Holy Spirit, Father, guide us as we leave here at this place and and uh, go before us. Uh, allow us to, to give hope uh, to those who are in desperate need of it, hearing uh, your gospel. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you all.